When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast live on Facebook, YouTube and later on our podcast channel. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes. And yet again, we are recording on the back of another win for Newcastle United. Five on the bounce. Great 2-1 victory over Brentford. Aaron, how have you enjoyed the Easter weekend? Again, I've just been counting down the seconds to be back on this podcast. It feels ever since that win at you know five o'clock Saturday night, I've been thinking Tuesday is just too far away for the you know the Monday show. They're just I'm getting sick of all this winning. You know what I mean? Getting sick of it. Sick of it. I hope it never ends. <laughs> been a fantastic weekend. Did you get lots of Easter eggs? I did actually. Surprisingly, yeah, me and the missus have have made our way through some. You know, probably yeah. more than we should have. What's your, what's your go-to choice? It's got to be Cadbury's. It's got to be mini eggs. Oh, yo, you're pulling the faces off to say you're not a Galaxy man, are you? Not a Galaxy man, Lindo. Oh my! I go, God. I go high ends, high ends. That just sums you up, doesn't it? High Honestly. ends. M Lindo. That just screams. Andrew well, I've also been described as uh, the Chronicles' chief parody reporter this yeah, weekend. I saw that over the weekend. Did you see that? I saw that over the weekend. Yeah. So we always ask you guys to leave your comments and uh, ratings in reviews on our podcast apps, whether you listen through Apple, Spotify, this is the audio version. And someone kindly described me as a parody reporter. Am I the Alan Partridge of this parent? No, well, out the, out the first two probably, but I wouldn't say <laughs> wouldn't say in general, I think it was, yeah, just a disgruntled Sunderland fan maybe. Potentially. Yeah. Comments and try but to sabotage. Maybe it was Aaron and then Bernard account. Who knows? But we do love your comments and feedback. So if you've got some constructive criticism, I can take it. Leave us um that on either spotify or wherever you get your podcast from and if you're watching on youtube hit that subscribe button we've also had a busy time on youtube this weekend haven't we and we'll get on to why later on in the show but let's kick off just sum up your view on, on how important of a win it was against brentford especially given how dismal the first half was yeah really really important that the bounce back in the second half i thought it was fantastic to see the response whatever Eddie Howe sent them at half time and need there to have been Amazon Amazon cameras in the dressing room filming us everywhere because whatever he sent to them whatever Tyndall sent to them worked absolute wonders um really really big in the context of other results that happened at the weekend Manchester United winning Tottenham winning Newcastle obviously you know staying in third place um and it's just good to see that you know like the first half at West Ham like the first half at Brentford they're not playing you know, really well sometimes, but they you know they're grinding out results and, and they're making it look pretty easy at times as well. Hmm, because it was a it was a poor first half. Yeah. You know, they could have been three goals down. Tony misses a penalty. He's got one ruled 
out um, off for offside, and of course, then he then he scores the penalty, the second penalty. They weren't good at all, Newcastle United. Yet they were still in the game. They come out, and the second half is totally different. You know, he, he introduces two players to the game, Wilson, Anthony, Gordon, but the other players who started also stepped up. I mean, Joe Linton was absolutely unstoppable in that second forty-five. Yeah, ruthless from how, again, we saw it in the cup final. Obviously, he wasn't afraid to make changes when they were 2-0 down. Obviously, on that day, Isaac came on, made a bit of a difference, but, you know, ultimately, they couldn't turn it round. Similar impact, you know, from um, the two half-time substitutes in London and, obviously, a different result this time around. Re- As we keep saying the last couple of weeks in this podcast, he's got real options now, you know, real depth on that bench, real players that can come in at half-time or on the hour mark or late in the game and, ma- and make a difference now. Why do you think, though, they did start the game so slowly? You know, as Newcastle have rediscovered their form, it's been largely down to the way they start the game. They're so quick, they're so fast. And even against West Ham, first opening five minutes weren't that good, but then they got the goal, they got the second. Against Brentford, you know, they were very lucky, in my opinion, to go in just one goal down. What is it? Is it just one of those, you know, that you can't really put your finger on why, mm-hmm. you know, why it happens. It just happens sometimes and then it could happen for 20 minutes, could happen for the first half. long as it improves and you get all three points, then it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's a weird one because it's it's not like anyhow teams to start slow. They're not not notorious for starting slow. You see them when they play at home, they're fast out the traps, they want it, they feed off the crowd's energy. Um, You know, we touched on it last week on the pod about West Ham's atmosphere, home crowd being up for it on, on that Monday, on the, on the midweek night. Um, I don't know. Just a very, very slow start away from home recently, and I think Brentford are. You know, they hadn't lost at home um, before Newcastle arrives in September. Very, very good record at home. Very good crowd that you know come out and support them in their droves. You know, um, selling out that crowd every week. I'm not sure, but it's something Eddie Howe is probably going to have to address. Some key games coming up away from home. You know, starting this Saturday at Villa. Um, but yeah, two in a row now where they've really looked slow at the traps and they've needed a big wake-up call. Mm, and it obviously, it's, it, it's worked. They got the win. But let's focus on a few elements of that first half. I mean, Tony looking lively. And we've spoken about it before, about how you and I would like to see him in a black and white shirt come next season. Um, I know he missed a penalty, um, but he scored one. And he did have a quiet second half. But I thought the first half, he looked very lively. He was offside. Um, what did you make of his performance? Yeah, I think he proved, you know, I think we've all known it for months now that he really is a, you know, a top quality player. The difference between, you know, the Tony that we saw at Newcastle when he was just a, you know, a youngster who was who was struggling to get in the first team to what we see now, you know, if he leaves Brentford, he's probably going to cost 60, 70 million pounds. That is how much he means to them. Um, he's just a big handful. He's physical, he's strong. Really, really good in front of goal. Obviously, he, he, he was very, very quick to react to that first goal, which we, we saw disallowed. Um, but Nick Pope needs to get that on his CV. 22 penalties in a row, Ivan Tony. He's got this very weird style of taking them. I don't like it, mate. See, well, you know what it is, neither do I. But before Saturday, you couldn't really grumble because he, he hasn't missed one. Mm. And it still does work. But I thought, if I'm honest, I thought it was a poor penalty his first one. Um, very good save by Pope. I don't think the saves really got the credit it deserves, but from Tony's standard, I thought it was a poor spot kick. Mm, yeah, brave to take the second one. I mean, the penalty that he missed, the challenge that conceded the penalty, goodness me. I'm still having nightmares about it now. Yeah, it's 
Is this the first one? The yeah. First one, yeah. Sven Botman, yeah, he just caught in no man's land, wasn't he? That um the attack, I can't remember what who the attacker was that, that um got it George Shane or something like that. Really gave him a handful all game, really made Botman, you know, work. Um and he was he was never getting to that ball, was he? <laughs> never getting to that ball. That was what we see sort of at Power League on, on a Monday night, isn't it? Rather than a, a Premier League standard game. I'll speak for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> a, a clattering challenge. Uh, thankfully, as Aaron said there, obviously Nick Pope saves it. Um, let's talk about VAR. If, you've, if you're a subscriber to our YouTube channel, you've probably seen me ranting yet again over the weekend about the state of VAR. And yet again, this weekend proves it's not working and Newcastle victims of it. Thankfully, it's not cost them three points. But, you know, what on earth? I mean, what an absolute mess. It's never a foul. Isaac's punished for fouling uh, Rico Henry. Never a foul. I mean, Henry's no one. He's not even won the ball. The ball's gone, you know, and it, it's a coming together. And yet, they've got a penalty out of it. Absolutely ludicrous. The thing that angered me most about it is the fact that Chris Kavanaugh stood 10 yards away unobstructed view, looking straight at it, and in real time, he doesn't think it's a penalty. VR then looks at it and needs to look at it for two minutes, if not more, to then suddenly decide, hmm, we think you might need to go to the monitor. If it's taken you two minutes to question a decision that the referee didn't deem a penalty with an unobstructed view, it's not clear and obvious. And then Chris Kavanaugh, by the way, should really have had the stones to go over and say, actually, no, I don't think that is a penalty. I feel like we need a little we need a little clicker in the corner of the screen because every week we're talking about VAR. It feels like we're sat here every week. Yes, it hasn't cost Newcastle this time because of that comeback, but I mean look at look at Brighton on Saturday. Three three penalties denied, one absolute stonewall on Matoma. They they've got a goal disallowed, which you could argue should have stood, and it's cost them dearly because they've lost two one in a huge game for their season. It's just the the entire thing is just such a mess. What was the foul given for? Why were Brentford given a penalty? I don't know. Henry's going nowhere. Isaac doesn't know anything about it. There was there wasn't really any appeals. I just can't understand why Kavanaugh's changed his mind all of a sudden after such a long debate as well by VAR. Absolutely, Chris. Absolutely, Chris. And let's say thankfully it didn't cost Newcastle the game, but obviously they go into the break one nil down and. You are kind of sitting there thinking, you know, yes, okay, they've been hard done done by because of VAR, but they've not had a good first half. And we were all praying that Eddie Howe can work his magic as he's done in recent weeks as well. And and it really like give them a kick with the backside and see a, an improved performance. And they got they got that. We got that. And let, let's just talk a bit about you've mentioned there you you hope that the Amazon cameras were in the dressing room. He's got a knack for doing it, though, hasn't he? I mean, he he seems to be a real motivator. When Newcastle United need it, whatever he does, whatever he says, it is working. And that second half against Brentford is clear evidence of that. Yeah, absolutely. And and after the game on Saturday, I thought myself, right, you know, how's going to get asked about his team talk as managers naturally do after a comeback of that nature? He's going to say, oh, well, I got the hairdryer out and Tindall got the hairdryer out and, you know, harsh words were exchanged. And actually, how came out and said, I didn't really see the point in losing my temper. I thought we just had to all stay calm, talk about what went wrong, talk about what we needed to do to put it right. And sometimes, you know, you don't actually need to go, you know, guns blazing, which Howe clearly doesn't like to do unless it's it's needed. Um, 
and even Isaac came out after the game, spoke very well about you know the players knowing that it wasn't good enough first half. He, we saw it at West Ham when he was barking instructions of the players during the game. They just take to him. This group, you know, obviously nobody has a bad word to say about him because of what an amazing job he's done. But you just get the feeling that he really, really gets this group, playing or not playing. Um, he's got a really good understanding of what makes this team tick. And it, it's just been a perfect relationship so far. And we saw it a little bit at the end as well with Anthony Gordon after full time and, and sort of a reaction to that. Um, yeah, it just it feels it feels like we haven't seen this for so long at Newcastle United, that that, that relationship between the players and the gaffer. Hmm. Yeah, no, it is a, a great relationship. Everyone seems to respect them and it's it's you know it's it's working wonders on the pitch. He introduced Callum Wilson and Anthony Gordon at half time. Showing that ruthless side, um, you know, of management. Sean Longstaff comes off, Jacob Murphy comes off. It's not working. We need to change something. So he makes some substitutions. Let's first of all talk about Wilson because first half, Alexander Isaac was badly isolated. He could not get into the game. You know, he was kind of a, a shadow um, of what he was in the, in the second half. Um, how important was Calvin Wilson's introduction just to have someone who can hold up the ball? And then you have you know two players working off each other, and obviously the Newcastle go on and win the game. It's it's such a good plan B to have for Newcastle, starting with either one of the strikers up top, and then having the option to actually bring them on, and knowing that it's not going to you know be a detriment to the team at all. They've got a fantastic relationship, um, as you say. That first half Newcastle going forward just you know did not work out how on earth to get in behind Brentford. Isaac, as you say, was looking very isolated and, and you know out in the cold on his own up front. Lots of calls for them to start together, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about it. I what like fans are calling for it. For me, I just I don't want to see it from the start. I think it's such a good option to have off the bench when you need to change a game. But I don't want to see it from the start. Why? Because this system Eddie Howe's got with the three midfield and the and the two out wide and the striker works. It, it really, really works at home. Eddie Howe drills isn't the players. Every single one knows their role. If it isn't broke, don't fix it. And yes, you can say you know, Newcastle have looked really good when the two of them play together, but I just think... But did Isaac Nestle come on and play as a second centre-four? No, I mean, look, we've seen it earlier in the season. Sorry, Wilson. Um, with with Isaac coming on and playing deeper, we saw it in the cup final. We saw it against Fulham where they where they combined for the winner. Um, I just think having that option in the second half when you're either chasing a game or you need something a bit different, that's the time to utilize it. And I just think if we start doing it from the front, you sort of lose that plan B a little bit. Yes, you can take one off and, and go back to just one up front, but I don't know. I, I, it's I'm really really pleased to see it working. I love the two of them together. I think it's a really good partnership. But I just I don't think I subscribe to the notion that Eddie Howe needs to try it from the start. I mean, still winning games. A lot of people thought Wilson would keep a spot in the side, didn't they? They thought it would be Isaac that was that was on the bench. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Wilson's form of late, you can justify that. He's, he's completely, you know, he's gone from night to day, coming off the bench and playing really well, starting at West Ham, scoring a brace. Um but at the same time, Isaac hasn't put a foot wrong. He's finding the net. He's linking up play really well. They've now got two equally equally good options in attack. And it doesn't matter whether you start one or the other. I mean, Wilson, we were sat here two weeks ago thinking, you know, his long-term future at Newcastle was up in the air. 
fantastic response for him. They've got real options now, you know, off the bench or whoever they start. Sam says, great to see Newcastle finally having a plan B. The switch to 4-2-3-1 was a masterstroke and Isaac continues to impress. And it was, uh, you know, a fantastic finish by Alexander Isaac to grab the winner. We'll talk about that in a moment. Let's um, talk about the first goal, though, from Joe Linton. Fortunate, I guess, in many ways that it takes a deflection and heads into the back of the net. But Joe Linton, as a force in that second half, for me, was he was man of the match. He was unstoppable. And, we, you know, we, we, we spoke about him a lot on the podcast. But what's great to see is that he's now got the confidence and the drive that when he gets in the box, he's taken a shot. It's, it's probably still the worst part of his game. But, hey, as long as you're shooting, <laughs> you've always got a chance of scoring. We've given Jordan a lot of praise the last couple of months. Uh, you know this big transition to a you know Vieira type midfielder and how he's so good in the middle now. But actually, stick him out on the left, he does a job. He's very very positive going forward with the ball. The last couple of games, we've seen what we really wanted to see from Jordan when he played up front. I mean, the way he sent Ben Mee to the shops the other day when he could have just lashed it across goal, he got a bit fortunate with a finish, but still to take it on from that angle, you know, oozing with confidence. Um, he just continues to press. We we always say on this pod, he's always eight out of ten every week, and he did it again on on Saturday. He was just absolutely amazing. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So I've got some stats here about Joe Linton's performance. So four tackles in the game, ranks first. 86% pass success, 36 out of 42 passes, so he ranks fourth there. Won 11 out of 22 duels, he ranks first in that. That was 8 out of 14 ground duels, 3 out of 6 in the air. He uh, made three out of four uh, dribbles that he attempted, so ranks first there. Four clearances, first there. Two interceptions, first there. If he can consistently add goals to his game, he's going to be unstoppable. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's already unstoppable now in the middle of the park in this, you know, enforcer role that he's sort of carved out for himself in recent months. Um, He's now starting to find his feet after three years in front of goal. He's just, yeah, you know, you know, you know, the word fan favorite gets overused these days in modern football, just like legend. But he generally is a fan favorite, and I think we talk about all the time what makes it so special is the way he's came from nothing. It's a proper rags to riches story, but it's not sort of sentimental anymore. We're actually looking at a really, really unbelievable player who now, if Newcastle wanted to sell him, you get much more than forty million from. Hmm. Mike Ashley was brought him in for that sell-on value that they thought they were going to get. And look, Mike Ashley didn't get a lot of things right, but it turns out a couple of years on the line, he might just have got this one right. And the funny thing is as well, a bit like, I guess, Newcastle United's form and results, as a Newcastle United fan, part of you is always thinking, well, this has got to end at some point. This has got to end at some point. And yet the results keep coming in and coming in. It's the same with Joe Linton. I keep thinking at some point, He's got to revert to type, but he just isn't. And someone's just said there he's a shout for, for player of the year. In my opinion, he is the player of the year. I don't think anyone has done more than him 
I just think he has been, as I think was kind of phrase said in the comments, he's just been so consistent that for me, he is definitely so far my nomination for for player of the season. Yeah, he's he's certainly in the mix, you know, if not one of the favourites. Um his influence, his leadership on and off the pitch, he's just a, a shadow of his former self and and it's just you just can't help but love him. Such a likable player, such a likable character. He's starting, as we've said, and a lot of goals to his game. Um, yeah, as Graham says there, Joe the Tank. Yeah, it's just amazing in this team. He fits in absolutely perfectly. And how important has because Joe's uh Graham's also mentioned there that Joe's playing alongside Bruno and it's such a good partnership. How much do you think Bruno's had an impact on, on where we, we see Julian and now? Because off the field, obviously, fellow countrymen, we know they've got a really close relationship. There's a brilliant little bromance going on there. Um, they live close to each other. You know, there's clearly a, a good friendship there. How important has is, is Bruno's arrival been for the transformation of Joe Linton? Absolutely huge. Not just because of what they've done together on the pitch, but as you say, off the field, they'll both, especially for Bruno coming in later, really good to have sort of that, that partnership there. I think even if you just look at that sort of contingent of South American players, Miggy's fitted in that group really well. Freddy Fernandez, when he was here, you know, fitted in. Manquillo is a part of that group. Um, it must just be really, really good, you know, for them to have that sort of feeling of home when they're in Newcastle. And look, you know, it shows how loved they are that Newcastle have installed a little Brazilian samba foot volleyball at the at the training ground just for them. So yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested to see the full leaderboard for this uh football tennis. I imagine they're top of it. Eddie Howe's already spoke about, you know, having a go at it and he did say that he he got beat. He wouldn't tell us who his partner was when he got beat, but he did say he got beat off Joel and then Bruno, which I'm assuming is the yeah. I think it was Jason Tindall, wasn't it? Um Jordy Toon for Life says Trippier is my player of the year, not just his performances, but how he organizes the team for the full 90 minutes. And as we mentioned last week, the fact that Trippier has rediscovered the form of the early part of the season is another key element to why Newcastle, I think, have gone five unbeaten at the moment. And you mentioned there the, the, the training ground. And obviously everyone's seen the pictures and the videos of them having a bit of head tennis or football, feet tennis, whatever. Um, bro, all I can think about is I'm looking behind me and seeing the new facilities. I'm just, I'm just buzzing at the fact that, you know, the canteen looks like a proper professional fitting you know it looks like what a prem what you you want a premier league training ground to look like you know the fact that they've got the facilities to play foot tennis and what have you they're making the changes that should have been there as a premier league side but they they've come in they've had to spend the money they've had to make them and it's just brilliant to see the investment off the pitch going into the club yeah you know they had to they had to move quick with it as soon as the owners came in obviously changing it from a, a league one or league two standard training ground to you know something that was fit for um, Premier League players, really, really good to see what they've done with the outdoor area. Even, as you say, the, you know, the catering facility, new kitchens, cryotherapy chambers, even, you know, when, you know, they're bringing players in to give them sort of presentations about what they can do if they're going to sign for the club. That area there is just being transformed as well. So we know the plan, obviously, is down the line to move to a new ground, but I think very, very good and sort of temporary. Uh, changes that they've made and, and clearly it's having an effect on the players on the pitch as well. Uh, Graham says Keegan and Terry Mark got an early to play head tennis. Sounds similar vibe. And that goes back to what you were saying, I think, earlier in the show and about the relationship between the group mm -hmm. and the manager and the coaching staff. There is a real connection there. Not too dissimilar 
to what it was like under Kevin Keegan and, and Sir Bobby Robson, you know, where Sir Bobby came in and he said, right, we're all eating dinner together. Whereas under Rude Hullet, they'd been eating separately and just, you know, heading home. Sir Bobby comes in and says, we're going to be a group. We're going to do things together. And it's it's things like that that I think add to how well you play on a on a Saturday. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, when you when you hear players talk about the previous regimes, you know, players that have been here, you know, around a decade, it's absolute night and day. What how's done, the changes he's made, what he's made the players do when they're not playing. Um, you know, there was always this sort of lackadaisical approach under the likes of Bruce and maybe even Pardew and Carver, where, you know, these little things weren't talked about. Um and yeah, long mate continue. Um, the second goal then comes from Alexander Izak, and it was a really nice goal. The finish is unbelievable. It's like when you're playing a FIFA, isn't it? You've got the little R button behind and you just want to size it into the in the top corner. Absolutely superb. But his movement as well, you know, he doesn't dash into the box, he hangs back and then gets it in first time. There's so many things to like about it. Yeah, he's just He's a player played at the top of his game, banging form. He's just one of those players at the minute where he just never looks like he's going to miss. As you say, really quiet in the first half. I think that was more because of Newcastle struggling as a team to get you know hold of the ball, get deep in Brentford's half. Brentford defended well when they had to. Um, he just he just looks like you know when he first came in and he had that debut against Liverpool. We all sort of stood up and thought we've got a player here. Really, really unfortunate with that injury. Um, but it's really good to see that he's bounced straight back from that. He's already looking like he fits in the team. He already looks like he's understanding the league. He's 23 years old. If Newcastle can keep a hold of him for two or three years towards he gets, you know, his prime years, real, real player on the hands. He looked he looked absolutely fantastic against second half against against Brentford. He did, and it was maybe as well because he had a bit more freedom. He wasn't the target man, that was Callum Wilson, who came on and did really well to hold up the ball. He was proven a nuisance. And that just allowed uh, Isaac just to kind of, to, in a way, run where he wanted to. He wasn't pigeonholed into, into being that lone attacker. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, he's got a really, really good understanding with you know, the players around him. Um, the system, they're finding ways to fit him in, whether he's playing up top on his own, whether he's got Wilson alongside him. Um, and it just goes back to what I said earlier in the show, to see them actually now having these options off the bench, the depth they've got now, um, it gives you real confidence between now and May that he can keep this form going. And you felt when that second goal went in, Newcastle really smelt blood and they, yeah. and they went for it. The, you know, Obviously, they didn't add a third. They got one ruled out. Um, Callum Wilson had, had it in the back of the net. Um, and then Nick Pope had, had to pull off a, a fantastic save very late on. Um and again, it just shows you the quality, I guess, of, of of Nick Pope. If Newcastle can't, for whatever reason, make it comfortable, and they, they are going to have to, you know, um, kind of be very careful going towards the end of the game because they haven't scored a third, then it's brilliant to have someone like Nick Pope who might not have to do too much, but when it's called upon and he's relied upon, he's switched on and he pulls off a fantastic save as he did. Yeah, the, the second half, obviously, we, we, we've spoken at length about how good the attack was and how they changed the game in front of goal. But actually, the defence looked a lot, a lot more assured second half. They didn't look as you know under pressure. They looked a lot more solid. Nick Pope made some really, really important saves. I will say one thing about Nick Pope, and that is that he nearly gave me a heart attack in the 94th minute when he rushed out a goal ahead that ball clear. Honestly, I mean, we've criticised him recent weeks for you know as what he's been like with the ball at his feet. 
when I saw him running out, I thought it's just going to be Liverpool all over again. I really did have my heart in my mouth, but um, yeah, fantastic performance from the entire defence second half. I thought they were really, really good. Fantastic uh, block in that moment as well from Nick Pope. Yeah, and didn't know too much about it. I think he had his eyes closed. Honestly, I was <laughs> panicking. But that save he made was yeah absolutely superb. He's absolutely brilliant, and we'll probably have a, a chat you know at the end of the season about the the, the bargain of um, the new Newcastle United so far, and he's up there for the, for the amount of money he costs. Well, it's really interesting because you know I was on the Newcastle Fans TV podcast with Sam Mulner the other week and talking about player of the season. My shout was probably Nick Pope purely because of you know the, the clean sheet record. Already seen in the comments, you know, the last half an hour here, you've got people calling for someone's calling there for Fabian Cher, Derek here, Salem Joel, and you've got Miggy, who was the top scorer. Isaac has came in and hit the ground running. Bruno, as good as ever. Botman's fitting in like a glove. Trip, yeah. Like, how on earth do you pick a Newcastle United player of the season? But how refreshing when, is it to be sat here? Have, oh, yeah. Because, you know, like in recent years, we, we run the, you know, the, the, the player of the season. Uh, awards here from, from you know the chronicle ones and it's it's been on at maximum for, for two years in a row i think it was and then last year it was bruno wasn't it but you know before the, the takeover you could bet your bottom dollar it was always going to be maxi yeah. uh whereas this year like you say it could be one of six seven eight and it's so refreshing um to to to, to know that to know that actually you have a real group of quality players and not just one or two that they rely upon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as you say, I don't think that you could ask the you know everybody that's watching this live. We could put a poll out on the Chronicle. We could do anything, and that you would never get the same answer over and over again. I think there's such a split among the fan base as to who it is. For me, as you say, Pope's got to be up there. Joel Linton, as we've mentioned, but again, you, you can you can honestly you can think of so many of them. As Jamie says, uh, to be able to argue over who is the best player is a great problem. To have it, it certainly is. Jamie, one hundred percent is. Um, let's talk about then Anthony Gordon. Uh, you may have seen on our YouTube channel. I did a video yesterday regarding Anthony Gordon's reaction to being subbed off. Uh, got a little bit of stick on social media. Uh, I mean, I, I stick by doing the video because it was a talking point. People have been talking about it. You know, it was the most read story on our website. Eddie Howe's reaction to Gordon being subbed off um in the video i actually said let's not blow it up a portion it's not a good look we don't want to see it again but it's and what's happened is it, he's reacted in that moment you know he's gone and sat down and i'm sure between then and the final whistle he's had a moment to reflect and gone that was not a good thing to do you saw matt ritchie in his ear um he's probably had joe willick in his ear as well before the final whistle and then eddie house put an arm around him it's not a big deal stand by making the video though because it's what everyone was talking about mm -hmm. and long as Newcastle nip that in the bud which I'm sure they will do they can use that to, to their benefit and say do you know what Anthony if you think you can react like that being subbed off go and prove to me why you should be starting and you can always turn that into into um, a positive let's say we'll be you know you'll probably go and score the win against Villa on Saturday hope so uh, you know I've, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot the last couple of days and and thinking about my thoughts and I've been sort of torn on it and I don't like to sit on the fence in this podcast but I think I'm, I'm going to get splinters because I think I'm going to because looking at it from Anthony Gordon's position I sort of understand it okay he's young he's hungry he's desperate for minutes in this team he's got a big price tag hanging over his head he wants to play every minute of this team which is what we want to see love to see that passion 
But then at the same time, you know, Newcastle aren't chasing the game. They weren't going to go and score a third goal. You know, Gordon wasn't going to get his moment in the sun. It was pretty obvious that it was a moment to see out the game and eke out that time. Um, so disappointing to see it from that respect, but I think really, really good to see that it was nipped in the bud so soon after, as you said, Eddie Howe and Richie both having, you know, arms around him at full time. Eddie Howe in his press conference making it clear that there's no issue there. Um, so I was glad to see that it was squashed and, and that we can just move on and um, Gordon will learn from it. And I think, you know, we won't see that again. Um, and it'll just make him, you know, a bit more hungry now to make sure that when he is on the pitch, he's making sure he's not getting taken off. Mm, Richie says, uh, he points out, um, sorry, Graham points out that what Richie did at, at full time and says Gordon's probably so keen to get going and show what he can do. And he has, you know, he's, yeah. His journey at Newcastle has been stunted by injury, so that's going to add to the frustration. And like you say, like like I make the point is that in the, that moment you react emotionally, but you know it's not it's not a big deal. And I get people in the comments saying, "Well, you're making a big deal out of it." We're not. We're discussing a point that loads of fans have, have, have discussed. We're sharing our opinion on it. Uh, that is our opinion. It'll be forgotten about by the time Villa comes around, yeah. um, and I'm sure that um, all is forgotten now within. The dressing room, uh, Derek says, there is no issue. Well, I'm glad you agree with us, Derek. That's what we've just said. There is no issue. Um, yes, and we've got people wishing Amanda Stavely a very happy birthday, the co-owner's birthday today. Sam says, it's not a big deal for Gordon. It was game management and a learning curve for him. He's not the big fish in a small pond at Newcastle, um, which is another fantastic point. Let's talk about what that win means in terms of the race for the top top three, that third place position. Yeah, I think more than it being about Champions League, I think you look at now the gap between probably Villa, you know, downwards, Newcastle just looks streets clear. And I think, you know, a couple of games ago when they were sort of really had Liverpool breathing down their neck, the way they've just been able to, to pull away has been ridiculous. I think now... The Champions League race is just firmly in their hands. I think if they were to lose it from here, it would be agonising. And I know the goalposts have moved so, so much this season and we were bitting someone's hand off for fifth back in August. But I think if they if they do lose it from here, it would be it would be so painful because of the run they're on, Spurs stuttering. Um but I think they'll do it. I think they'll I think they'll make the top four from this point given the run of form they're on. I can't see them dropping out. Yeah, I think they will as well. I think they'll make top four. It's just good to see they've picked up a form at the right time. They are the, the inform team in the race for the top four. And also it just seems like they're probably the most united team as well. And my United have got that kind of sideshow of the of the, the the takeover, which is or isn't happening. Spurs are just I mean, an absolute mess. Yeah. Brighton looked good. I mean, they were hard done by against Spurs, uh, but I don't think they've got enough to, to really really get in within the mix. And then you look at Liverpool too far behind. I know they picked up a point against Arsenal. But Villa creeping up. Saturday's a big one. It is, it is. They found form out of nowhere. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be an excellent game. Um, but you can't, I think Newcastle at the very least will get a point against Villa. I can't see them. As good as Villa, Villa are, I think Newcastle are in a, are in a better position a better situation than them and they should I think get at least a point. Yeah I I, I wouldn't like the bet against Newcastle at all at the minute even with a slow start I think um, we've already seen this season that teams including Newcastle can get at Aston Villa um, at times they can be very very shaky at the back 
and and just on your point about the teams around them, I think you look at Manchester United now, who are battling with them for third. Marcus Rashford potentially missing. They've still got the Europa League. They've still got the FA Cup. And as you say, this you know sideshow of the takeover on the on the mind. I think Brighton really. If Brighton had won Saturday, which you know on another day they would have if they had helped them out. It would have been a real, real one to watch because they were flying before Saturday's defeat. Hmm. And Jamie says, I take a point of Villa. It's all about the Spurs game now. That's yeah. on the, the 23rd of this month. I mean, I still, even after this weekend, even though Spurs won and Newcastle, of course, beat Brentford, out of all the teams that I said to still be chasing top four football, and we know the Nationals are very keen to make sure Liverpool are still chasing, <laughs> I am I think Brentford and, and Brighton are still the ones to watch. Liverpool are so open at the back and Arsenal only have themselves to blame for for dropping um, points against them. You know, they were there for the taking. My United, okay, are are the ones to really watch, but Spurs, I'm not too concerned about. I mean, probably come back and bite us in the backside. But, you know, I think I'm still very impressed by Brighton and Brentford, um, but it's all in Newcastle's hands and that's that's the important point about this, uh, about the race. Yeah, I think, you know, rather than focusing on other teams and what they might be having, you know, going for them or against them, we've just got to look at that dressing room at Newcastle and seeing that they're blowing teams away without really playing too well. They've been able to come back from behind. Um, their home record at the minute is fantastic. You, you fancy them to beat Spurs next week, whether it's at James's Park. Um, it's firmly, firmly in their hands now. And they just need to hope they don't throw it away. I've got a little quiz for you, Aaron, about okay. Champions League uh, qualification. I'm going to do it in a moment because what I want to do first off is to talk about Thomas Frank's comments. Because after the game, now I think Thomas Frank is a tremendous manager. I think Brentford are a great side. I'm very happy to see them become an established side of the Premier League. Um, But his comments were a little bit strange, I felt, after the game. First off, how many times in separate interviews did he reference the fact that Alexander Isak cost £63 million? Why? I mean, please do not plead poverty Thomas Frank, you know, I know you haven't got the uh, the riches of Newcastle United, but I mean, you're still spending £20 million on a youngster from, from Hull City, whereas other sides would not be able to do that. You know, I don't think Brentford are necessarily short of a few, Bob. You know, if a good player comes up, they'll be spending money. To consistently reference the price tag of a player just seemed a little bit strange to me. Yeah, very, very odd. I thought, I thought the comments were, were very... Or especially given as you know, it's pretty much praise for uh, Eddie Howe. And he's actually, you know, neglecting to remember the fact that Newcastle actually walloped them at St James Park the season when Isaac wasn't, you know, fully fit. So and I don't really get his point about, you know, them spending that much money. I thought, you know, they were just beaten by a better team in the second half. Just beaten by absolute quality. But I guess that's what Newcastle and I are gonna to have to just accept people are always gonna reference the money spent. But again, if you look at the starting eleven. Um, against Brentford again, a lot of those players were here pre-takeover. Yeah, it's a point that we keep, you know, we keep banging our heads against the wall in the sense that everyone keeps saying it's about the money, and actually, it's not. You know, Cher was there, Joel Linton, Willick, Willick, Murphy, Armoron. They were all there, um, and actually, you know, one part of me really loves to see Thomas Frank rattled. And the salty comments, I think Newcastle are getting under so many teams' skin this season. How many times have we seen it? Arteta, Ten Hag, Frank, they're absolutely rattled by Newcastle United and you just love to see it. You do, you do. And that's the important thing. You can spend all that money, but I think, like we say, the Newcastle are in this position because of just great coaching, really. You know, you, 
you, you can buy the world's best player, but if you don't have a good manager to get the best out of them, then it's a little bit pointless, isn't it? Exactly. And I think, as I say, Thomas Frank before the game was so complimentary. He was talking about wanting to go for Pike, Maddie Howe and all this. Um, and yeah, and then the Newcastle show rolls into town, stunts their, their good form, beats them convincingly in that second half, and it all goes back to, oh, well, they've spent this money in. I think that's just, always going to be the fallback, yeah, isn't it? It's always going to be the, it's their go-to default, you know, complaint, oh, well, you know, Newcastle, we haven't got the riches, but actually, you know, they, in the grand scheme of things, they haven't spent that much money. Botman, Bruno, costing 30-odd million, you know, Brentford, if they really wanted to stretch their budgets, could probably get close to that. I'm not saying they're going to sign players of that quality, but they could probably, you know, two or three seasons in their Premier League journey afford that type of deal, so... It's, uh, it's very, very unusual. We've got a lot of people as well mentioning about the dark arts. So let me read the quote about dark arts. And I've read it a few times and I don't, I mean, I get what he's saying about, you know, about Jason Tindall, but I don't actually get the, it's not a very clear quote in my opinion, but I'll read out anyway. Um, he said, we also need to game manage. Everybody wants to game manage a little bit. I'm not talking about us not doing anything, but we need to go a little bit into the dark arts of football. Where is the sportsmanship? We need to be aware of that. We're also on purpose a little bit more active towards the fourth official today. Again, I'm talking about consistency. I try to be calm. I don't think it does me any good to interact with him, but we know that Newcastle have their strategy. Jason Tindall is always speaking in the fourth official's ear throughout the game, so we just have to be aware of that. I think, is he getting a little bit confused in his message here? Because you read some of that and you think he's, he's wanting maybe the referees and the FA to act and say, right, stop talking to the linesman. But then is he also trying to encourage his staff to, do to be, the I'm a little bit perplexed. Yeah, the post-match comments were just all over the shop. I think he's taken the generic view that Newcastle are all of a sudden this master of the dark arts, but they're not really. I mean, to be honest, there was no real time wasting on Saturday. I don't think you can say that Newcastle, especially company compared to other games this season, the ball was in play a lot. Um, Eddie Howe, know, has already shut down the claim that Newcastle don't want the ball in play. It was just a very, very weird response to a manager who's usually very good in defeat. I really like Thomas Frank. I think he's done wonders with Brentford. I think he's a, a credit to the Premier League. But I just thought, yeah, he, he really took that defeat hard on Saturday. Um, and, and it showed in his post-match comments. But, you know, those dark hearts that he mentions, you know, everyone loves Jason Tindall, don't they? He's, he's He really is Eddie's right hand man and yes he is always in the year of the fourth official and he's always well, I, 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 love, I love to see well, it this is what the top teams do they get every single advantage well this is the thing Jurgen Klopp and Mikel Arteta every week are in the year of the fourth official Fergie used to be Mourinho used to be every time Bournemouth come to St James's Park I've noticed Gary Neal's number two is always in the year it's not a new thing it's not a Newcastle United thing and all of a sudden because they're upset in the apple cart and they're disrupting the big six. Newcastle are, you know, everything's scrutinised. Newcastle United are doing what a lot of teams in this league are doing. They're doing a lot of what things that big teams in this league need to do. And in a couple of years, it'll just be running the mill because, of the, you know, when they're up there consistently. But it's taken a lot of people by surprise how quickly they've gotten there. And I think they're just rattled by it, as I've said. I mean... That being said, you know, you, you can be in the air all you want and you can spend, as we say, all the money. But again, it just comes down to coaching the players in the right way. Yep. And, and as someone's made a very good point there, you know, to coin a phrase, eighth in the league for spending, they haven't gone, you know, 
massively over budget. They haven't done a Chelsea. They haven't, you know, done a Manchester City. They've spent within their means. Yes, okay, they've brought that club record. Oh, they've brought in a £60 million fantastic striker. But Eddie Howe has got the best out of what was a failing group under Steve Bruce. The bulk of them still in and around that team. Uh, and that is really the main takeaway for me. Yeah. Let's just uh, talk about um, transfers. Over the weekend, Newcastle were linked uh, via the uh, the Sunday Mirror to Wilfred Sahar. I think he's out of contract, if I'm not mistaken, this summer. Um, he's got a bad injury, so he's probably going to miss uh, the next few weeks at the very least. He might not be back in time for uh, you know the final running of games to save Crystal Palace from uh, relegation. But Newcastle linked with a move for Sahar. Didn't work out for Sahar when he went to Manchester United. Maybe a move too soon for him. Talented player, but I think my main concern about the windows to come, and I've mentioned it quite a few times, is the balance between getting a really good player and their attitude and how you strike that balance. Because at that moment, at the moment, success at Newcastle is largely built upon the unity within the dressing room, having players with the right attitude. I'm not sure Saha has the attitude you'd want to come into this dressing room. A lot of people say that about Anthony Gordon. Um, what are your views on, on Saha? Um, I think I'm going to be in the majority when I say this and that. I just For me, he just doesn't do it for me. Far too money. Honestly, the moniest player I've ever seen in the Premier League. It, it, I just don't think I'd get behind the deal. If Fair play, it was a free transfer. He's, he's done wonders in that. Palace team for years who have always left a striker, they've always lacked any type of threat. He's always been the standout, but for me, I just think for that type of player, I just I wouldn't be going anywhere near it. No, I mean they've got they've got two other midfielders that I'd much rather have. Um, and Elise. And even that to Curry that the same in the summer, I would take them in a heartbeat, but I just I can't I can't get on the on the same page as Zaha. I just can't do it. No, well, I'm glad I'm glad we agree. And it looks like um, quite a few people in the comments do as well. Yeah. I don't like watching him. I like watching when he's got the ball at his feet, but when he goes down for a foul, you know, you're right. He just he wants a foul every time. He tries to buy the foul. And good, good player ability wise. But if you're gonna if you're gonna rock the boat, i.e., the dressing room and the, the unity, you're not rocking the boat for someone who's not the really the right age. You know, I again I go back to Anthony Gordon. Like people questioned it, Gordon's, but he, he but he's at the different. age. Yeah. He's, he's raw and yeah, young and you yeah. can mould him into what you want to be. Zaha now, coming towards the, the latter end of his career, struggling a bit with injuries. You know, he had a hamstring injury a couple of weeks ago. He's now out again. I just think it, it's just not one. Not one I think fans would better get on side. Derek says, no superstars here, please. I do think he'd get 10 goals a season, definitely, but I don't think he's got the Eddie factor. It's interesting, though, that the no superstars here, please, that Eddie says there. Um, and Jamie said something similar here. If we buy an absolute superstar, but he disrupts the team cohesion Eddie has built, we will be done for. It's just not worth it. But there was going to come a point this where is, that question the, has to be answered. The, this is the topic we keep talking about. When is the moment when Howe says, right, well, we're actually going to park this you know, desire to only sign players that fit into this group we're going to take the risk because of someone so good. And you can make an argument that this summer's the time to do it if they get Champions League football and they need to take that step up. But I just think the group's so harmonious at the minute. Why would you throw someone like Zaha into that mix? Why would you throw someone who 
And I'm not saying Zaha will be this player, but why we throw someone in that mix that's going to think they're bigger than the team? That cohesion they've got at the minute, they're all fighting for each other, they're all on the same page. I think if you can try and eke out this feeling for you know in the next season, I think that's that's the way you've got to go rather than risk and play, signing someone who doesn't fit in with this sort of this team. Hmm. And it might actually, what you just said there, this summer be a better time to do that because you've still got a dressing room full of leaders. If yeah. you do that in 18 months' time, Trippier nearing the end of his his um, career, Lascelles is probably more than likely you've gone. You, 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 18 months' time, you're going to see a transitional Newcastle where maybe the whole dynamic start to change. Maybe you do the risky move this summer where you've still got leaders who can hit home the message. You're coming at this club to improve the team. Everyone is united. You are not the big star. It's not all about you. It's about Newcastle United. Yeah, I think I've, it's something that we, we mentioned often. I think I would like to see, you know, nothing against signing sort of Zaha's age or, you know, around that thing. I would like to see a couple more leaders in the team. I think, you know, going back to that cup final, we saw the the difference in Manchester United's team, who they had on the pitch to see out that game, Casemiro, Varane. I would like to see a couple more experienced head along the likes of Trippier, but I think, you know, Zaha certainly isn't that player, and I think you need to get the balance right between them, not coming in and just completely, you know, taking over from Trippier and ruining that balance, but also, you know, someone who's been there and done it and, and you know, has got that sort of Premier League experience. Craig says, never, Eddie, wouldn't bring anyone who's toxic for the group. Derek says, the moment is when all our first 11 are themselves classed as superstars. Jordy Toon for Life says, we have a top-class player with a brilliant attitude. His name is Bruno. I would love to find another dozen Brunos, wouldn't you? I think every manager in the league would. Add. It's a shame they don't go on trees. Um, but look, Dan Ashworth has got a very good track record of finding good players. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they find a couple more hidden gems this summer. Graham says, it is coming. We will buy those superstars and need to embrace it. What's good is we have a core of players, Trippier, Bruno, who can educate and pull the superstar into line and understand what we're about. Great, great minds there, Nick. Yep. Great minds. Totally agree with you there, Graham. It's going to be very interesting. And then, you know, the example I'll, I always go to when I'm making this point is Bruno Fernandes. You know, we talk about players who sulk and he's so annoying to watch because he can be so petulant, but then he can do something so brilliant. And if you look at his stats and the way he performs, it, you know, you can kind of forgive the petulance at, at times because he, he is a consistent performer. He's one of the best players in the Premier League. However, as hard as it is to find a Bruno Gamoresh who's got a fantastic attitude and a consistent level of performance, I do also wonder how difficult it is to find someone with a 70% good attitude, but like, you know, 95% consistent performance level. I think if you're, you know, an outsider looking in and you didn't know much about football, you'd probably think Bruno has, you know, been a lifelong Geordie. How quickly he's taken to the team. I don't think you'll find that every single time where players you know, come in and instantly feel like home. And that's another task that, you know, the, the scouting team and how we've got this season um, and this summer, sorry, is to actually find players that are going to hit the ground running and, you know, be taken on board. I mean, I remember, and I always make this point, that Bruno's first game, he was on the bench at St James's Park. He had not kicked a ball in a black and white shirt. I guarantee half St James's Park had never seen him play before and he was warming up on a touchline and there was already fans chanting, Bruno, Bruno. I mean, how on earth do you replicate that in the summer? But it's, it's... An interesting point there, though, because everyone expected him to start that game because yeah. war flags 
you know, had got a flag ready from the expectant start and anyhow didn't play him for another six or seven games. And that goes into the point of, well, if you go out and buy a ready-made superstar, and Derek makes a good point, you know, Bruno Gumeresh wasn't a superstar when he, when he signed for Newcastle. So that maybe is a reason why Bruno's landed so well. But if you do go out and buy, you know, a ready-made superstar, which you're going to have to at some point, and then anyhow doesn't play you, how is he going to react to that? We're talking about how Gordon reacted. How is a, a Bruno Fernandes going to react if he signed for Newcastle and all of a sudden he doesn't play for six games? Yeah, that's the gamble, isn't it? When you sign a player of that quality who's going to expect to walk into that Newcastle team, that's not what we want. We want players that you know are going to fight for the for the team and for the badge. So it's a really fine line that they've got to try and navigate this summer and beyond. But you know you've got to back them given that their transfer record so far has been. You're nigh on perfect. Uh, Billy says, if West Ham go down, Bruno's mate would be an interesting acquisition. Yeah, we spoke about that last week. Very yeah. impressive. Uh, I think you've got. I think you've got to keep a very close eye on the bottom of the league because there's a lot West, of good players. West Ham going down. I'd love to see Jared Bowen. I'd love to see Paqueta in Newcastle. Leicester. I mean, I would take probably half of their team. James Madison, Madison, Barnes, Tealmans, um, Southampton, James Ward Prowse, Leeds. You know. Um, Harrison, Gnotto, I love Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams, big um, fan. There's a there's a lot of teams at the bottom where you look and think if they go down, you'd love to take a couple of their players. Mm, more certainly, and we've got this big paragraph here from Billy, who is in Costa Blanca enjoying his holiday. Uh, he says, as a Newcastle fan, I'm not impressed with the Chronicle reporting on Newcastle being interested in a player who Mike Ashley would probably have signed in Scott McTominay of Manchester United. We're not shopping at the local supermarket these days. We need players to enhance Isaac, Bruno and Big Joe. No offence, lads, but I don't want him and we still do not think he is good enough. Reports suggesting that Manchester United would want £50 million for him um, this summer, which if is the case. Um, no, thank you. Your thoughts on Billy's comment there, Aaron? Um, look, I think Manchester United might be trying to get their own back after Newcastle caught with them £50 million for Longstaff. Back in the day... Um, Look, I think I think the player in McTominay's quality, you would never, ever, ever be going near fifty million for him. Um, so much negativity around, you know, the links to him, which you know I can't really understand. I, I get that, you know, he's not in Manchester United's good books, and and you know fans maybe don't want to keep him, but experienced, you know, both at club and country level. Um, I think they could do a lot worse. I think they could do a lot better. Um, but for fifty million pound, you'd be going absolutely nowhere near him. Yeah, you'd that... be wanting twenty at the twenty twenty five at the very very most, and I think even then fans would still think you're overpaying for him. I don't think you're going to get him for twenty five. I think you'd be more looking realistically thirty million, perhaps. I think there's better midfielders out there for thirty million that they can get. You're doubling down. I mean, last last or, last. Or I can't tell back. you're backtracking. Wind you up, I'm winding you up. Right, we'll move on. We'll move on. Um, right, let me a little bit of a quiz. It's not the most exciting quiz, but it's all about qualifying for the Champions League. So I've got um the last few years of um the Premier League table here. Um yeah. on game week 30. I know Newcastle have only played 29 and they've got a game in hand. Um, but game week 30, I've got the teams that were third, fourth, and fifth. Yeah. So I'll read them out. Yeah. And then I'm gonna ask you who actually finished third, fourth, and fifth. And it's just about as good as it's looking at the moment, Newcastle have to remember, and I'm sure they, they're well aware, there's still a task to complete. So, we'll go last season, first of all. Yeah. 2021-22. Um, Chelsea were third, yeah. 60 points. Arsenal fourth, 57 points. Spurs fifth on 54. 
Who finished third? Sorry, say those again. Chelsea then. Arsenal then Spurs. Third would have been. Um, Spurs. Nope. Chelsea. Chelsea third. Then Spurs. Arsenal bottled it and finished fifth. Fifth. Yeah. yeah. Seventy-four, seventy-one, sixty-nine. Season before we had less. Now this is the interesting one. We had Leicester third on fifty-six points. Yeah. West Ham fourth on fifty-two and Chelsea. Uh, fifth on 51. Who finished third? Chelsea. No. It was Liverpool. Oh, not even in the not even in the picture. And they weren't even they were, I think they were sixth or seventh at that point. Ooh. Chelsea but, fourth and yeah. then West Ham. It was Leicester. Leicester, Leicester fifth six, 66 points. So they only got 10 points from their last remaining eight games. Um and then 2019 20. We had Leicester 54, Chelsea 51, Manchester 40, my United 46. Um, who finished third? My United. Yeah. Then Chelsea. Yep, same amount of points, 66. And then Leicester. Leicester, and I guess what you take from those two seasons is just how quickly your fortunes can change, isn't yeah. it? You know, Leicester looking like they were really going to be, you know, main stairs in the, the, the fight for top four in the seasons to come, this season, battling relegation, Brendan Rodgers is gone. They look like they're going to lose a lot of their star men um, in the summer. You know, you can't rest on your laurels. No, not at all. I think for as good as it's going now, you know, Manchester United and Tottenham both showed at the weekend that they're going to keep picking up points where they can, even when they're not playing too well. Um Newcastle need to, need to keep on the ball because so quickly it can change. And I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if they struggle against Villa and Spurs somehow come to St James' Park and get a result, you know, that Premier League table is looking a lot more bleak than it does now. 2018-19, you had Spurs third, Arsenal fourth, Chelsea fifth. So who finished third? Arsenal. Chelsea. Then Arsenal. Then Spurs. Arsenal. <laughs> Rubbish, rubbish. Don't want you on my quiz team. Um, but there you go. No, it's just a little, little uh, interesting look at how positions can change. But um, I mean, it's all a lot, really. As long as Newcastle continue to do what they have done in, in the last five weeks, then um, they shouldn't have any issue. And it's going to be a very interesting uh, finish to the season. Well, guys, this has been the Everything is Black and White podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Do hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube and leave us a rating and review if you're listening later on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you very much for tuning in and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news.